0: To 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, We're in the middle of a sermon series going verse by verse through this short five chapter book of God's Word, 1 Peter and uh, chapter 2, today, and we're going to look at the second half of that. And as we do, I'd like to ask you to stand. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible, we'll look at it together. Beginning in verse 13, God tells us this through his servant Peter Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you will silence the um, ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do so, uh, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor "'Leaving you an example, that you should follow in His steps. "'He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. "'When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. "'When He suffered, He made no threats. "'Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. "'He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, "'so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness.' By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You may be seated. Today's message is based on the first word of this passage, submit. So I've titled the message, A Reason to Submit. And I can just feel the excitement and anticipation in the room because of how much everyone loves that term and that concept of submission, right? It gets us all fired up. Well, okay, maybe not always in the same way. Uh, It's not a super popular topic, but it is something we all struggle with, isn't it? I mean, is submission, submitting to government authorities or others, is submission something that comes natural to you? If it does, then you're probably more qualified to preach this sermon than me, and I'd love to have you just go ahead and come on up. Anybody want to do that? Um, (laughs) Chad started to. You know, but whether it's easy or comfortable or not, the Bible talks a lot about our need to be submissive in numerous places and in numerous ways. Later in 1 Peter, younger people are instructed to submit to those who are older and wiser, The book of Ephesians talks about how wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Hebrews talks about submitting to church leadership and elders. The book of James and other places also tells us how we need to submit, of course, to God Himself. And here in our passage that we're looking at today, Peter talks about being submissive to human authorities. Now as we get started, I think it's good to remember that Peter has just talked to his first century readers in both of the first two chapters of the book that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, that they should remember that they are first citizens of heaven before they are citizens of Rome or any other country for that matter. They are to consider themselves or see themselves as foreigners or exiles or strangers or aliens. There are various translations Of these words, but when, when in fact, that's why we're calling this series "aliens." But we need to understand that we are just passing through. That's his point. We should all think of this earth like we think of an airplane. Talked about this briefly last week. You know, it's something that we appreciate and enjoy. We take advantage of it, but only briefly. I mean, we get on and and we are hopeful that we have a nice, smooth ride and. And yet we don't get too comfortable on this earth or in that airplane because it's not our final destination, right? We know that. It's just a, a place that is there for the short term as a means to an end to get us to where we really need to be. So in many respects, there are great comparisons or similarities between airplanes and the earth. And God has already talked about this through Peter, made this clear, and now He continues to emphasize that being A good citizen in heaven means also being a good citizen on earth, and submission is part of that equation. He begins this passage by hitting us between the eyes with two very difficult words at the very beginning. What's he say? Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Literally, in the original Greek language, this means to put yourself under, under the authority of someone else, which is, again, not easy for probably any of us. It's definitely not easy for those that I know, not easy for me, but I tell you what, it was even harder for those early first century Christians that Peter was writing to. They were on the receiving end of all kinds of severe injustice. They were being persecuted for their faith in many tangible, terrible ways. And Peter says, or God says to Peter, instead of retaliating, instead of getting rebellious, or instead of, um, you know, uh, getting defensive and upset about it, submit. Choose to be submissive. Now, there are a number of things we can learn about submission as we look at this this passage together. If you have one of the bulletins that were given to you, let me give you a few fill-in-the-blank things. And the first one is simply this, if you're writing them down, that is that submission is unnatural. Submission is unnatural. You know, when our two boys were younger, Kim and I read a book together, meaning mostly that she read it and gave me a few of the highlights, but Anyway, we read a book together called The Strong-Willed Child by Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family just down the road in the Springs. We read it because we were raising two boys who, in some respects, could have been like, you know, on the front cover of the book. I would guess some of you as parents can relate to that. You remember those moments or maybe are still living them. But anyway, at one point, Dr. Dobson talked about how children are rebellious before they can even talk. And he explained how rebellion is not something children have to be taught. It is not something you have to learn by watching somebody else first or any of that. Rebellion, unlike submission, comes very natural to almost all of us. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, that's for all of us, not just our children, for all of us. And it doesn't get much easier as we get older. I've struggled with obeying rules and following instructions most of my life. It's not been natural for me and i 'm just trying to be honest and tell you the truth of who I am and what i 'm like i don 't i don 't uh, naturally like to be told what to do or when to do it or whatever i just my natural thing is to want to critique each rule and decide for myself whether or not it's worthy of being followed. you know those kinds of thoughts and and uh, so as a consequence of that i 've received more than my share of scoldings and dirty looks and warnings and speeding tickets and uh you know, all that kind of thing, reprimands. And again, I'm not proud of this. I'm not saying this is okay. I'm just telling you this is where I've been in my life. But I can tell you, by the way, that it's been more than 10 years since my last speeding ticket, so maybe I'm getting better. That's what I'm hoping. I, I think maybe I am. But, but to illustrate this struggle in my life, let me, I want to show you just a real short little video in a moment um, from a time when Kim and I got to spend a few days in Iceland on an amazing special trip a couple of years ago. But first, let me kind of set the scene for you so that you'll understand. There was, first of all, spectacular beauty everywhere I looked, as you can see. I mean, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the, uh, the pretty landscape and the mountain behind her is beautiful too. But everywhere I looked, I saw beauty. But, you know, seriously, I was, um, you know, my wife is beautiful. But it was an incredible trip. We loved that place. And one day, Kim and I found this buoy that she's holding uh, we just found it floating in the water. In fact, it had probably broken loose from somewhere else, obviously, and floated up. In fact, let me show you. Here's where we found it down there. And uh, so we've rescued that, if you will. We picked it up out of the water, and then we decided to go and climb up to a high point on a cliff and just throw it back in, just for fun. I, don't, I mean, no reason, really. Just thought it'd be kind of fun, which you'll see we did that in a moment here in the video. But to do so, we had to cross a little rope barrier, just tiny, one single rope with a little tiny sign on it that said, danger, do not cross. Well, I read that, and my interpretation of that was was that's nice. They're trying to warn me that there's a dangerous cliff there, and so therefore, if you fall, you're going to die. And I'm like, I get it. I understand that. I'm taking my life into my own hands when I do that. That's why for some people they should stay back because they're not good at handling this moment. But I can handle cliffs, so I'm fine with it. So that was kind of the way I looked at it, right or wrong. That's just the way I read that. And so, um, so I enjoyed getting up there and looking over the cliff. It was beautiful. I mean, you could see all kinds of things. I mean, it was just awesome. It was beautiful. It was cold. It was windy and all that, but it was spectacular. But as I did that and threw the buoy over the top, which you'll see in just a second, um, there were a couple of other hikers that came up behind me, and they took it upon themselves to read that sign and read it differently than me. And they began to say stuff like, hey, you, what are you doing? Get back. Don't you re- Can't you read? Get back away from there. You're not supposed to be there. Well, I didn't want to be rude or anything, but I didn't see them wearing a badge that gave them any jurisdiction over me, so I just kind of smiled and ignored them, <laughs> like, you know. In my mind, I was thinking, they, they can't tell me what to do. I'm just going to not say anything. Well, one of them was a little more bossy than the other and aggressive. And so she said, hey, you, I'm talking to you. Can't you read? Get back. You're not supposed to be over there. You're going to fall, get hurt, what, something like that. And Well, at this point, I may have been in Iceland, but I could feel my temperature rising, if you know what I mean. I was frustrated with that. And again, I'm not proud of my actions or what I said next, but uh, I'm just telling you that as a pastor, I struggle with some of the things that you all do as well, many of them, and in this case, I probably could have handled this better. But, but again, um, I just turned and faced them, and I said, I think, something like, thank you for your input and advice, but I don't really need anything from you, so see you later, have a good day, and I just waved at them and tried to, like, shoo them away, and uh, that didn't work real well. You know, I said that all with a smile on my face as if that makes it okay, right? I mean, that's, but uh, later I wished I'd have been a little more quick-witted and said something like, like, hola, buenos dias, uh, uh, lo siento porque no habla ingles, you know, but of course that's not true, but uh, you know, I could have tried that, but uh, anyway, the bottom line is I could have handled it better. Let me show you the video and then I'll tell you another point to it in just a moment. It overboard. I don't know if Kim got it. It See is. the buoy? Somewhere. There's the buoy down See there. See it? There, there it is. Res- there is. Rescued it from over there. Over there. She was videoing from there, and these people shaking their heads thinking I'm crazy. They had just thrown their hands up in the air and said some other things kind of hatefully at me as they walked away in disgust, but um, anyway, if if you look close, you can see the little rope there behind Kim that uh, that that I crossed, and in the next picture, you can see where I was sitting when I threw the buoy over and got yelled at. There I am, sitting there, So so I guess you could make a case that maybe these two people had a point that I was in a dangerous place and maybe should not have done what I was doing, but... Regardless of whether they had any right to yell at me or not, there was no right for me to be kind of rude to them, which is what I was. So that's my point. But actually, one other thing. Let me back up and just I want you to see that picture I showed you already. Notice who also is sitting on the edge of death with me. Do you see that there? I'm not alone. That's my point. My wife was right there with me. And here's the real bottom line. My guess is that many of you in the room could tell similar similar stories of times when you have pushed that envelope or struggled in some way to submit to something, whether it be a sign like that or a speed limit or whatever. Others of you are more like my wife, Kim, who generally tends to obey all the rules, but that day was just as much a lawbreaker as I was. But anyway, I think we all struggle to submit to authority, at least in some situations, and that's my point. Submission, again, is not natural for all of, for any of us. It's difficult for virtually all of us. You know, we're told to go out that door and so naturally we're drawn to go out that door. You know, the speed limit is 65 and we're kind of uncomfortable with that. We always drive 70 and then they raise it to 75, which should totally suffice. And yet then what do we do? We bump our internal speed limit up to 80 instead of being happy with the 70, you know, or things like that. We're supposed to be at work at 830 And yet we routinely show up at 840, 845, whatever, just to make it very clear. Nobody owns me. Nobody can tell me what to do, you know. Or maybe as parents, you give your kids some sort of curfew or dress code, and then you get frustrated because they, just like you when you were a kid, push the envelope all the time. It's not natural for us to be submissive is the point. Number two, if you're filling in the blanks, would be this. Biblical submission is unforced, unforced. Let me explain. You know, the verb here for submit in 1 Peter chapter 2 is in the middle voice, and it literally means to willingly place yourself in submission, willingly. One way to picture that is to do the opposite of what the little boy did when his mommy told him, you better sit down or you're going to get a spanking. And so he reluctantly sat down, but as he did, he said, I may be sitting on the inside, Mommy, but I'm standing up on the outside. Or I mean, the other way around, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. A lot of times we tend to do that, and yet the truth is God wants us to recognize we need to be submissive on the inside as well as on the outside. Peter wants these Christians who are forced to submit to the government to choose, humbly to choose to submit with that kind of attitude. You see, submission is not just about proper action, it is also about proper attitude. Well, that's just the first two words of our short passage here. Look at how he takes it up to a whole nother level when he then adds these four words. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Somebody say that with me, for the Lord's sake. That's a powerful addition to those first two words. When you have a hard time submitting, maybe it's at work, maybe it's to a teacher, or maybe it's to a parent, or maybe it's to a government official, or whomever, somebody else that God calls you to submit to, I think we need to all remember that when we do so, we are submitting to God for the Lord's sake. When you swallow your pride and submit to authority in times that you're called to do so, it is honoring to God. It is, in fact, number three, it is an act of worship. Don't ever underestimate or forget this truth, an act of worship. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or in our passage again, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It is an act of worship. Oh, that's so powerful. Fourthly, I want you to... to uh, really focus on something else that we see here in our text. Another reason to be submissive is, fourthly, that godly submission enhances our Christian witness. Let me take a little bit of time and explain what I mean by that. Well, first of all, verse 15 says this, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. See, these early Christians were facing all kinds of false accusations. Let me just share a few of them. These people were Being accused of all all kinds of things, including they were accused of insurrection, rebelling against the Roman rule. But beyond that, they were accused of atheism because they, again, refused to worship Caesar and the false gods of Rome. They were even, get this, they were even accused of cannibalism because people had heard about communion and how it represents the body and blood of Jesus and got confused by that. And Christians were 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 literally accused of cannibalism because of that. They were even accused of incest because, after all, they called each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And all kinds of misunderstanding and confusion was happening. And and because of these cra- crazy accusations, there was a lot of to do about how to respond to all of that. And Peter said, "Here's how you respond to it: submit and do good." Whoa. What? In fact, in just a couple of verses earlier, we, as we read last week, verse 12, he said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits you. Christian, I'm talking to those of you who consider yourselves that, most of you probably in the room. Let me ask you, do you want to represent Jesus well In our world to a lost and dying world? Do you you want people to see Jesus in you? Then can I just tell you, we all need to learn to understand and live out this concept of submission. It is an act of worship, and doing it appropriately as God teaches in all the various contexts He talks about. We're only talking about a little piece of the iceberg today in terms of where and how we submit. Doing it as God tells us to enhances our worship. In fact, the lack of submission among Christians is one of the strongest arguments against Christianity. There are so many denominations and divisions and variations of the church that no one can even count or catalog them all. And you ask, well, what is at the core of all of that? Well, I'll say it's this. It's not generally core doctrinal differences. I mean, there's some of that. Churches divide over that sometimes. But more often than not, most frequently church splits and divisions come over trivial, non-essential kind of things, things that mostly flow downstream from pride and stubbornness and selfishness and an unsubmissive spirit. That's why most people leave the church and go look for another one there's a quote that I love. I used to think it was Augustine who said it. I had heard that before, but actually, I, in my research this week, found that there was a man named Rupertus Meldinius who initially said it in 1627, and he's been quoted by many others as well. But it's a beautiful and amazing quote. And he just simply said this, in essentials, we need unity. In non-essentials, we need liberty. But in all things, we need charity, or in other words, love. And I think there's beauty and wisdom here. Friends, we need to learn the difference between essentials and non essentials. There's a big difference in many cases, and most disagreements, you know, most things that lead to division are not about essentials. They are often about our personal feelings or our preferences or opinions or whatever. But let me tell you this even if we are dealing with an essential, even if it's an essential, we still, according to what God says through the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians 13, if we stand up for and we, we make a big deal about this essential, it being an essential, if we do that though without love, we are still nothing more than a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, just a noise-making, obnoxious sound. Paul goes on to say, or God says through Paul in 1 Corinthians, you can have the gift of tongues, gift of prophecy. You can even have faith that moves a mountain. Think about that. You can even be that, and yet if you don't have love, you don't have nothing, he says. See, love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails, and love requires submissiveness. I think it breaks God's heart when we let non-essentials and personal issues divide us and make us ugly or unattractive to our lost world. In Romans chapter 14, there's this interesting situation where a bunch of Christians are in Rome, and they are arguing and fighting over mostly some non-essential issues, while a whole world of people that is lost and dying without Jesus and in need of Him are sitting back being ignored by the Christians and watching these Christians argue and fight over non-essential issues. Among other things, they're arguing about whether or not it's okay to eat meat that has previously been sacrificed to idols. There were two schools of thought. One thought, of course it's fine, it's just meat. It doesn't matter what happened the day before, whereas others were like, no, 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 if it was sacrificed by pagans in a pagan ritual the day before, then it's, you know, unclean, it's off limits, we should avoid that. It's, you know, it's been defiled and you'll be defiled if you eat it. And big arguments were happening about this, and in Romans chapter 14, verse 20, God uses Paul to say, stop it. He says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't destroy your testimony for the sake of a non-essential thing like food. If he were here today, I think he might say something like, don't destroy the work of God because you think it's best to wear a suit in church, whereas... He thinks it's cool to wear sandals. Or don't destroy the work of God or your testimony because, because you like quieter, more soft, acoustic-sounding music or piano or whatever, whereas they like it loud with electric guitars and drums. I don't like that. Or, or maybe you, like me, don't have any tattoos and you think that's the way it should be, whereas others like him and some of the rest of you, they have <laughs> lots of tattoos. But seriously, there are so many divisions over things like this that I think sadden our Lord so much. Jesus said in John 13, by this, and then he tells us what this is in a moment, by this all will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. I think when we come together in humility and put away our differences and submit to one another... And to the leadership of the church, as God calls us to, and to the Lord Himself, we set a beautiful example of what the church should be, and we become attractive to a lost world. A lost world who sees more than enough bickering and arguing and fighting and all of that out there, but they are longing to come into a place where they see unity and kindness and gentleness and patience with one another and all that from a people that are supposed to be different, who are supposed to see themselves as aliens on this earth, different, set apart, transformed, different, transformed by the renewing of their mind, not being conformed to the patterns of this world. Okay, well, from here in this section of Scripture, Peter gets a little bit more specific. Practical application of this principle, how to live out this concept of submission in their specific world. Now, because our Culture here in the 21st century is so different than the culture of the first century. Some of these things are a little bit hard to understand, hard to connect the dots to today. Um, And I don't have enough time to fully address all of this, but let me just share with you briefly what is said here and, and share with you a couple of thoughts in terms of how this can connect to us today in the 21st century in the USA. First, he talks about being submissive to the government. Now, remember, he's already told us that. That we are to be citizens, first of all, to heaven, and that is our primary citizenship. They may, be, they may have been citizens of Rome or other places, but they first needed to see themselves as citizens in heaven. Similarly, I, and I hope you can feel the same way, I am proud to be an American, but I am first a Christian, and I think we need to see ourselves in that way. But being a good citizen of heaven means that you are also a good citizen of earth when possible. And part of that is learning to submit to government authority. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to, what does he say? What's the word? Every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, we might say the president, um, but anyway, to the emperor, who by the way was a pagan, uh, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, if your government leader tries to require you to do something that is indeed a sin, then clearly the Bible teaches that we are first to be loyal to Jesus and to His holy Word. In the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles were being persecuted, interrogated, beaten, strictly told to stop talking about Jesus. No more of this witnessing and talking about Jesus to anybody else. Stop it, they were told. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, that Peter and the others said, We must obey God rather than human beings. Clearly, when push comes to shove, we always obey God first. In fact, the chapter before, Peter said, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's just who we are. That is, our citizenship is first in heaven. But unless your government official tells you to do something that clearly goes against God's Word, not just hurts your feelings or makes you uncomfortable, but clearly is against His Word, then we need to obey and respect. And that's not easy for me or for probably most of us. But let me tell you something. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or something else, let me tell you something I know about you. You're probably not real happy with the way things are politically in our world specifically in our country. I know a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, and I don't know a single person who says, I like it just the way it is. Everything's perfect politically in our world. Nobody feels that way from either extreme or anywhere in the middle. And all of the issues are a big deal to someone. To some, this is the big issue. To others, they would say, oh, no, that, well, you know, that's somewhat important, but the real issue is this over here, and this is what we need to all be talking about. And it's, you know, that can go on and on, But basically, everyone can get fired up if you bring up the right issue in their mind and talk about that, and that includes me. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't preach much about politics. If you've been here long, you know that. I don't often. But that's not because I'm afraid of hard topics or anything like that. It's because I don't feel God is calling me to do so. I think He's calling me primarily to focus on and preach about spiritual issues, things that have eternal impact. But that doesn't mean that I don't care about social issues or political issues. I feel strongly that we need to vote appropriately and that we need to stand up for what is right in our country, but we need to do so in the right way, with the right attitude, in the right timing, with the right priorities in our mind. I am proud to be an American, but I am still concerned about the state and affairs of our country and the downward direction that we are headed in our country in so many respects, walking further and further away from the Lord. That's clear. You don't even have to be a historian to see that. And that breaks my heart, not only for my sake and your sake, but for my boy's sake and my potential future grandchildren someday. These are big issues that we are facing. And the people Peter was talking to were dealing with stuff that none of us can even really identify with. As, as heavy as all of these things that we face seem, the things that the people that initially read this letter were facing, even heavier things. They were living during the reign of Nero, and probably within a year or two or three of this letter being written by Peter, Nero, the emperor, burned down Rome and blamed it on Christians so that he could continue to persecute them in horrific ways. We think we sometimes face some persecution, nothing like what these Christians were dealing with. There's a Roman pagan historian by the name of Tacitus who explains what Christians went through in his records. He's not a Christian himself. He had nothing to gain by slanting it one way or the other. He just was a record keeper of history. And he wrote some horrible things about how Christians were tortured. They were torn apart by dogs and other beasts, he said. They were routinely nailed to crosses. They were doomed to the flames burned to death as human torches to function as street lamps at night. They were tarred, impaled on post, used as props in various games at the Roman Colosseum and other places, just simply to die a horrible death so that others could laugh and have a good time, kind of like what you and I might do if we go to a movie this afternoon or watch a football game. You know, when I toured the Colosseum, Roman Colosseum, a couple of years ago, my heart ached as I imagined what some of our Christian brothers and sisters before us endured just beyond imagination. And yet God says to them through Peter in that time frame, submit. Wow. Submit. Submit. Talk about a time when it would have been hard to submit to the authority above you. We think it's tough to do so today, but wow, wow. I mean, America has, America's the best country in the world, I believe, but it's still um, got its problems, and yet our problems are nothing like what those people dealt with. Now, one huge advantage that we have over these first century Christians is that we live in a democracy rather than a dictatorship. Anybody thankful for that? Isn't that awesome? We don't have an emperor or a king. We have what are called public servants, right? That's what they're called, representing those of us who are the people. So I think it is important, therefore, as one of the people, I think we all need to, as Christians, do our part to vote, to stay involved, to stay uh, in the know and understand what's going on, and do our best to put into office the people that honor God and that are more concerned about biblical correctness than political correctness, amen? We need to do our part. I think that is true for all of us, but we need to remember that all these leaders come and go. And while I thank God that we live in a democracy and that we get to vote, what a privilege it is that we get to vote, we still need to primarily focus on our ultimate leader who doesn't need our vote, who doesn't have any term limits, who doesn't need any checks and balances, whose kingdom has no end. He is our Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He has His name, and His name is Jesus. That is our ultimate leader. That is who we focus on more than anything else, and we need to maintain our perspective and care more about eternal things than we do temporary things, and I think we need to be more concerned about who sits on the throne in heaven than who sits in the Oval Office in D.C. Both are important, but one pales in comparison to the other. Christmas is about a quarter of a year away, right? About three months from now. And yet, I think we need to dwell on a familiar passage that is often read at Christmas time. Can we do that together? Isaiah chapter 9 says this For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Somebody say forever. That's a long time, right? That's how long He will reign on David's throne. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, we're out of time, so let me close by reading and briefly commenting on just a couple of the remaining verses here in chapter 2 as we close. Verse 18 says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you go, whoa, you get stuck on the very first word. Whoa, wait a minute. Is the Bible condoning slavery? The answer is absolutely no. 1 Timothy 1 verse 10 and other passages clearly condemn it, but slavery was part of their world. According to some research that I did this week and, and enjoyed reading through and thinking through, somewhere between one-third and one-half of the whole population was in slavery at this point. And by the way, it had nothing to do with race. But it would have probably been hard for Peter or anyone else to even imagine a world without slavery at that point in history. So rather than launch into a speech against slavery, Peter simply admonishes them by the Holy Spirit's leading to make the best of a broken society. For the slaves to be submissive and humble. And later, he encourages slave owners to treat their slaves as family. Even though, again, slavery is not condoned in Scripture, make the best of it, and here's what he had to say about it. And as we read this today, I think we can apply it in our lives to a number of areas, but in particular, where we work, how we handle the workplace. Verse 19 says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. That's a commendable thing, he says. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and then endure that? You did wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. He then says, to this, referencing all of these things, including submissiveness, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. And I love how Peter finishes this chapter. He quotes from the book of Isaiah several times. Again, as I told you last week, more often than not, if there's a quote in the New Testament of something in the Old Testament, most often it's from Isaiah. That's what Peter does here. And he leads us to all focus on Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross, which is what we're about to do together in just a moment, in what we call Holy Communion. Remembering that Jesus set the ultimate example for submissiveness, not weakness, submissiveness. His submissiveness was to his heavenly Father and his heavenly Father's perfect will by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, out of incomparable love for you and me. Here's how he finishes the chapter He, Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer, overseer of your souls. Following his example and learning that there is a reason to submit. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And as we stand and sing, Lord, would you remind us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Christ alone is our cornerstone. And as we sing this, Lord, help us to stand for truth, learning from and following the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus, in humility, in submissiveness, and in worship to you. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship and sing together.